And uh, let's pray and look at God's word. Father, thank you that you as almighty God love us. Lord, that uh, you care about us more than we can imagine. As we see in today's story, your compassion is amazing. And your love is boundless, and our hope is in you alone. Lord, just help us to be focused on your word. Keep us from being distracted. Lord, give me wisdom in words I say that nothing would detract from the message of your word this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, today's story, as we've been finding, as we've been looking through the book of John, different encounters with Jesus, you see groups of people that are affected differently in their encounter, and we see the same thing today. In today's story, we see a a group of disciples who needed to be strengthened. We see two sisters that needed to be encouraged. And we see a crowd that needed to come to a decision as individuals in their lives. We're in John chapter 11. The miracle of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Now, the book of John has a series of seven miracles going through the first 11 chapters of John. The first one begins in chapter 2 when Jesus turned the water into wine. We've looked at a couple of the miracles as we saw the man at the pool of Bethesda and then also the, the man that was born blind. But this is the seventh and final of these miracles in this period. Obviously, we're just about to the greatest miracle of all as Jesus raised from the dead and to save us from our sins as He was crucified and rose again. But in, in these series of miracles that Jesus is performing upon others, this is the climax. Also, I mean, obviously, He did many miracles. And you read throughout the Gospels, many miracles that are recorded, many that aren't. But John's goal is to help us recognize who Jesus is. He wanted those people that he was writing to in the first century to recognize who Jesus was, but he wants us to recognize that Jesus is the Son of God. And as we see in this climactic miracle, the amazing power of Jesus, but we also see his incredible love. It's a long narrative. So we're going to be spending the morning going through it section by section to help, I trust, help better understand, but not just to gain knowledge, but to be amazed at God's love and to be challenged in our response to Him. So the story begins with Jesus interacting with His disciples. The disciples were with Jesus and things were getting pretty intense. As we've seen in the last couple weeks, the... the, uh, religious leaders are putting more and more pressure on and they've committed that they're going to kill Jesus. And they're just looking for the opportunity. The disciples are fearful. Many of them, I'm sure, just wanted to hunker down and hide out. But they're coming toward Passover and the question would be, was Jesus going to go to Jerusalem or was it too dangerous? And so, that's just a little bit of the background of what's taking place. And we see his interaction with the disciples in the first 16 verses. It says, beginning in verse 1, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, 
the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped His feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to Him, saying, Lord, behold, He whom You love is sick. Jesus' friend Lazarus, the the brother of Mary and Martha, he was sick. And so Mary and Martha sent a messenger to Jesus to let Him know the situation. The name Lazarus means helped by God. An appropriate name for what would take place here in the verses of this chapter. Now, while Mary and Martha weren't perfect in their faith, throughout the story we see they looked to Jesus for their needs. We must do the same thing. We must recognize that on our own power, in our own plans, it's never enough. But as we sang, we can look to Jireh, our provider. And their trust is seen here in these verses. And it's seen, they didn't tell Jesus what to do. They just let Him know the situation and said, God, we don't know what to do, but Jesus, You take care of it. And so we see that that Jesus starts to interact with His disciples here in verses 4-7. through It says, when Jesus heard that, He said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when He heard that He was sick, He stayed two more days in the place where He was. Then after this, He said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. So, Jesus hears the news. And then it says, because He loved Mary and Martha, He waited. That makes no sense. Why didn't He rush to Bethany where they lived to to heal Lazarus? And and He said, the sickness isn't unto death. And then after two days, he said, let's go to Judea again. And Bethany is part of Judea. It's a couple miles outside of Jerusalem. So just like the story of the man born blind, God would be glorified and Jesus' power and deity would be demonstrated through this miracle that Jesus was about to perform. So Jesus waited the two days and then they started their journey. We have to ask the question, why did Jesus wait? You see, He waited because His plan wasn't to heal Lazarus from being sick. His plan was to raise Lazarus from the dead. Now, it's interesting, many of the Jews, if you you look at Jewish culture, many of the Jews believe that the soul hung around the body for three days after someone died, but hoping to re-enter And then as the body began to decay, the the soul would leave. Now, we know that's not the case, but that's what many of them believed. And so it's interesting that, that Jesus, we'll see here a little later, He arrives four days after Lazarus had died. So even those who would believe that, that the soul would hang around had to recognize that Lazarus was, for lack of a better term, completely dead. 
So Jesus waited. The disciples saw Jesus or that Lazarus was getting better. If you look in the next verses, the disciples are talking about, well, what's happening? And Jesus said, well, Lazarus is sleeping. It's a different term in the Greek, but it can mean simply that he was resting. And you think, okay, how do you get better when you're sick? Rest, right? So the disciples are thinking, okay, he's just resting. He's getting stronger. We're, We're sure of it. And they had a little discussion about that. But then finally in verses 14 through 16, Jesus explained what was happening. Beginning in verse 14, it says, Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Now, a couple fascinating things there. The first one is is the idea of Jesus saying, You know, he's dead, and it's good for you, disciples, that we waited. It's good for your faith to be strengthened. God had a plan. The disciples had no clue what the plan was. But we can struggle with that same thing, can't we? You're, you're busy with life. You have all kinds of plans and goals and things you're doing, and then something comes to just sort of sidetrack them or derail them. And our first question when that takes place is, why God? God, this is what I need to do. And God, this is what you need to do. And and we all struggle with that. But God had a plan that was so much greater than what the disciples thought. As we'll see here in a few verses, what Mary and Martha thought. And God is just as active in your life if you're a follower of Him as He was in the life of and death of Lazarus. And as we think and contemplate that question, why God? We need to remind ourselves, even though sometimes things don't make sense, that God is in control. And in this situation, God was completely in control. There was pain, sickness, death, and that's a reality in our world. But God is still a sovereign God. And so, Jesus said, it's good for you that we waited so you will recognize my power. And then Thomas responds in verse 16 that we just read. Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now we know him as Doubting Thomas. He was a disciple that said after Jesus had died and Thomas wasn't there when the other ten were there and Jesus met them in the room. But Thomas came the next time and Thomas said, well, unless I see the nail prints in his hand and put my, in, in his hands and put my hand in his side where the spear pierced, I won't believe. 
But here is Thomas, and, and it's really a, a double-edged sword. I mean, it's like Mr. Pessimist. But also, you see his devotion. Because the disciples knew that, that there was a bounty on Jesus' head. The religious leaders said, we're going to kill him, and they were waiting for the opportunity. And now Jesus is saying, let's go into the center of enemy territory right outside of Jerusalem where the enemy is encamped. And so Thomas, in his mind, has to be thinking, Jesus, this is the dumbest idea you've ever come up with. And yeah, that was a pretty ridiculous statement for Thomas to make. But let's also look at the next part. Or actually the first part. Let us go with him so that we may die with him. Jesus, I don't think this is a good idea, but I'm going to stick with you to the end. It's really neat to recognize Thomas's desire to stand with his Lord. Even though they were going into a situation that Thomas believed they had no hope of getting out of. So they headed to Bethany, to the house of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. And now we come into the part of Jesus and the sisters, beginning in verse 17. And first he encounters Martha. In verse 17 through 27, we see this encounter. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is, come, who, who is to come into the world. Now, understanding Jewish burial, burial customs will help us better comprehend what's taking place in the story and what will over these next verses. They would usually hold the burial the day of death. And the men and the women would go to the tomb separately and, and the women would have a 30-day mourning period. M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, period. And they would hire mourners, but also they would have friends and family who would join in. And, and really, the more important you were, the more connections you had, the larger the gathering of mourners. And, and Mary, Martha, and Lazarus evidently were a, a pretty connected family there in Bethany. And so I'm sure there was a large group of mourners. 
And the first seven days would be the days of the most intense mourning. And, and oftentimes, many of those women of the family and friends would, would stay with them for that seven-day period. And so as Jesus and the disciples come, there is a ton of people there. Mourning with Mary and Martha. But what did Martha say? She said, Jesus, if you would just have been here earlier, you could have healed him. Now, she demonstrated her faith in believing that Jesus could heal. But she questioned his plan. Why didn't you get here earlier? Jesus, I know you got the power, but you really got to work on those travel plans. But also, notice what she said in verse 27 that we, we just read. She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. This is one of the most straightforward, powerful commitments to the deity of Christ that you will see throughout the Gospels. You are the Christ, the Messiah. You are the Son of God, not just a prophet, not just a good teacher. You're the Son of God. You're the one to come into the world, the Old Testament promised one. Jesus, I know who you are. You are God in human flesh. She clearly made that statement, but she still didn't recognize God's plan. Jesus shared one of his seven I am statements as he that he recorded in the book of John. Seven miracles that lead up to the climax of this one throughout the chapters. And, and this is number five of the seven I am statements. It's the I am the resurrection and the life. We read that earlier in our, in our corporate reading. We sang about it this morning. And Once again, Jesus was announcing that He was God and that we can put our hope and our trust in Him. And He said, He who believes in Me, though He may die, He shall live. The recognition that physical death is not the end. But then He goes back and He makes another statement that just seems, why is, he, why is he making this state, uh, second statement? Whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. The idea of that we will never die spiritually. As followers of Christ, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And after their conversation, Martha went to tell Mary that Jesus was there. And we're going to jump into this discussion between Mary and Jesus. But before we do that, it, it's interesting what Martha said. She said, if you would have been here earlier, you could have healed him. But I know that you are God. But still in her mind, the idea of raising Lazarus from the dead right then did not come into her mind. So beginning in verse 28, we see the conversation with Mary. 
So in, and when Martha had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, the teacher also has come and is calling for you. So she was probably sitting there saying, all right, there's a bunch of people around, but hey, Mary, Jesus is just down the road. He wants to talk to you. So Mary gets up to go, but, but everybody else thinks that she's going to the tomb to mourn, and, and their job is to mourn with her, so they all get up and go with her. So, verse 29, as soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to Him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where, Mar- where Martha met Him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, she is going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw Him, she fell down at His feet, saying to Him, Lord, if You had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, He groaned in the Spirit and was troubled. And He said, Where have you laid Him? They said to Him, Lord, come and see. And then one of the first verses, if you're starting a memory program to memorize, John 11.35, Jesus wept. You can go home after church today and say, I memorized a verse at church today. Jesus wept. On to verse 36. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? So what's going on? The people around are saying the same thing. (laughs) Jesus, if you would have been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. Mary makes the same statement that Martha made. Jesus, if you would have been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. You could have healed him. But another thing about Mary, what does she do when she gets there? She falls at his feet. We see Mary three times. Here around this time period in the book of John. We see her a little earlier when Martha's cooking the meal and Jesus is teaching and Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus. Martha gets angry like, I'm doing all the work trying to prepare all these things for these people. We're supposed to be good hosts. And Mary is not helping. What does Jesus say? He said, what Mary is doing a good thing. And then we see here where she falls at His feet. And then the next time, and we're going to look at this next week, where she, she uh, takes this expensive perfume and, and washes His feet. They don't know it, but preparing Him for His crucifixion and burial. But guess where Mary always is? At the feet of Jesus. It's where we need to be. Oftentimes we get so busy with everything going around and Jesus becomes just a part of our life. And we say, well, it's good. He's a part of my life. You know, I I come to church on Sunday. I, I try to read my Bible. Great things. But Mary was always worshiping her Savior. So there she is at His feet, but, but her pain is evident And then it says that Jesus wept. And we have to ask ourselves the question, why did Jesus weep? 
He knew what was going to happen. He knew that in a very short period of time, He was going to be standing before that tomb and said, Lazarus, come on out. Why was He crying? He knew the end of the story. That's why you never cry in a Hallmark movie. You know what's going to happen at the end. Some of you say, that's why I never watch a Hallmark movie. Why did He do that? Well, we can't say for sure. Again, as, we, as we've gone through these interactions, there's some things that are very plain to know. There's some things that we have to say, well, it could have been this. And, but I think there are several things that are important for us to understand why Jesus wept. He wept, I believe, in a great part because He saw the pain of the people He loved. It says He saw Mary and the other people that had followed her out. And He felt compassion for their pain. What an encouragement to us. Jesus feels compassion for our pain. He also... recognize the horrible consequences of sin. When sin entered into the world, death entered into the world. Pain and suffering came because of the consequence of sin. And as he saw that pain on those people, it was a reminder of pain that they would face, the pain that the world would face, also probably reminded him of a third thing, the pain he was going to face. He was God, but he was also fully human, and he knew that in just a very short period of time, he was going to be dying to help cover the consequences of that sin. So Jesus wept. Obviously a very short verse, but a very powerful reminder of God's compassion on us. But we also see Martha's doubt. And we find in verses 38 through 40 they get to the tomb it says when Jesus again groaning to him then Jesus again groaning to himself came to the tomb it was a cave and a stone lay against it Jesus said take away the stone Martha the sister of him who was dead said to him lord by this time there is a stench for he has been dead 4 days Jesus said to her did i not say to you that if you would believe you would see the glory of god So Martha knew who he was. She clearly stated, you are God in human form. You are the Messiah. You are the one in whom we can put our hope. And Jesus said, well, roll away the stone. And Martha said, oh, Jesus. I don't think so. Now, if you go back to verses 4 through 6, 
when Jesus was talking to the messenger, when, the, when Jesus and the disciples were there, the messenger came and said Lazarus was sick. It seems like Jesus is referring to that here. Did I not say, paraphrase here, this was for God's glory? But if you go back to verses 4 through 6, he said two things. This is for God's glory, and Lazarus is not going to be dead. I think there's a pretty good chance, we can't say it for sure, that there's a pretty good chance that Martha was told both those things. But boy, when you're standing in front of the tomb, it's hard to believe what Jesus said about Lazarus living through this. We face the same struggle, don't we? God promises us things, but as we face those hard times, we're like, God, I know you said, but... And we all struggle with it. I do. Hard times come and it's like, God, I know you promised, but... Now I think we oftentimes just throw out verses like Romans 8.28. All things work together for good to those who love God who are called according to His purpose. Buck up. Come on. Well, that verse is true. But in our human view it can be really hard to see. And Martha was doing some incredible, or showing some incredible demonstrations of faith. But all she could see right there was a stone with her dead brother behind it. And she was like, Jesus, I don't know if you want to do that. But they rolled the stone away. And Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. Why did he say, Lazarus, come forth? Because if he wouldn't have given the name Lazarus, everybody would have showed up. You'll think about that a little later. I mean, if he would have said, just come on out, <laughs> there would have been a large number of people showing up with grave clothes on. There's a, a writer years ago that wrote that. I just think that's a hilarious thought. <laughs> and so Lazarus came out, and we're not going to read the miracle itself, even though that's the center of the whole thing. Jesus calls him to come out, and he comes out. And the Bible doesn't really talk about the celebration, but I'm sure there was one. And then what happens in the end of the story? In the end of the story, it says, and many believed, but others went to tell the Jewish leaders. And what was the Jewish leaders' response? The Jewish leaders' response was a couple things. Fear and planning. They said, oh no. Everybody's going to believe. And then they, they came up with this reasoning, which... 
Could be true, but it wasn't the real concern they had. It was a concern, but their concern was their power. But they said, if Jesus keeps doing these things, and now He's raising people from the dead, everybody's going to follow Him, and the Romans are going to get ticked off thinking that we're building up this insurrection, and they're going to come and wipe everybody out. So we better deal with it. But, they missed out completely what Jesus' plan was. Jesus' plan was not to gain an army to rebel against the Romans. His plan was to come to die on a cross for my sins and for your sins. And this is just a very short time before Jesus was going to walk into Jerusalem, a matter of days walk in Jerusalem and be cheered, but then just a few days later to be convicted and put on a cross. And that was his purpose. He had a purpose for waiting to come see Lazarus so that people would recognize he is the resurrection and the life. He had a purpose for his tears as he watched the pain of people he loved. And he has a purpose in our lives just like he did in the life of Lazarus. Just as he did in the lives of Mary and Martha. And he loves us more than we can ever imagine. And he shared with us the hope that only He can share. And that's forgiveness of sin and eternal life. And we need to conclude here, but I want you to think of one other thing here as we, as we finish up. What do you think happened when Lazarus died the second time? And what do you think happened on that day when Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth? I don't... And again, just for thought, I think Lazarus was probably saying, bummer. <laughs> i got to go back out there. But he recognized the hope of eternity, and we can have that same hope through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love. Lord, I pray that you would help us today to recognize that you are on the throne. And that you are the resurrection and the life that you sent your son Jesus Christ to be life for us and to give us the hope of eternal life. Lord, may we, as we recognize that and as we celebrate communion, celebrate that sacrifice that you made for us, may we celebrate our hope in you. And may we respond with love and obedience to our gracious God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.